What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? If you had all the money, all the time, all the knowledge, all the resources that you needed? What would you do with your life if you simply knew that anything was possible for you? My name is Christina Carlson, founder of Global Swedish Design and stationery brand Kiki K, and author of the book Your Dream Life Starts Here. And I love exploring these sorts of questions to inspire people to dream. Before I started Kiki K, I had a dream that I could bring Swedish design to the world to create beautiful products that bring sparks of joy into the everyday lives of millions. Now that I have achieved that dream, I want to help you dream big. I want to create a global movement to inspire 101 million dreamers to transform their lives and transform the world in return. Each episode, I'll be talking to some of the world's most inspiring people, exploring the powerful impact that dreaming has had on their lives. We'll be diving deep into the power of dreaming with real insights and ideas that you can use immediately to build a dream life of your own, whatever that means for you. Welcome to our first episode of 2020, where I had the pleasure of speaking to the wonderfully inspiring Cyril Papillon. Cyril is a thought leader in the areas of productivity, time management and work-life balance, things we could all use a little help in, especially at the start of a new year. As one of the world's leading experts on productivity, Cyril supports executives, leaders and teams to improve their performance and work-life balance by changing habits. His best-selling book, Work Smarter, Live Better, has been ranked in the top 100 business books worldwide and in the top 10 business books in Australia. And I can personally say that reading Cyril's book changed how I live and work for the better. I loved his advice and guidance so much that we actually invited Cyril to run a session with our leadership team at Kiki K a few years ago, and we still follow many of his principles to this day. A regular contributor to publications such as Business Review Weekly and the Australian Financial Review, Cyril has now built Work Smarter, Live Better into a highly respected training firm, delivering his learnings across the world. Cyril was kind enough to share some of his learnings with us, and in this episode, you will discover small simple actions that can help to make your work and life easier, how to change the way you think about time and be more conscious of spending every moment wisely, the importance of living life to the fullest and without regret, ideas for taking control of your inbox and emails throughout your day, ways to create the solid foundations for productivity, common and successful tips of high performers, the importance of understanding what matters most to you, the power of getting clear on your personal goals, thoughts on creating a work-life balance, and so much more. I just know you're going to love this episode, so let's get right into it. So, very warm welcome, Cyril. I am super, super excited to have you on our podcast. Thanks very much for having me. An absolute pleasure. I am so excited because... Your book is one of my favorite, well, it's the favorite book that it, when it comes to anything productivity. So You're going to make me blush now. <laughs> we can't see this. <laughs> so I read a lot of books about productivity and I think yours 
is the best I've come across. Uh, hence being doing lots of different limited editions through Kiki K, so it's very excited. But before we jump in to talk about all things productivity for our listeners, I'd love to hear you talking about your dreams as a child. Did you have anything as a child that you dreamt about either becoming or doing? Yes, actually, I had. It's very interesting you mentioned that. As a child, I wanted to become a surgeon. Oh, wow. My dad is a doctor. My mom is a doctor. So was I influenced or not? I don't know. But I really dreamt of being a doctor. And I think what I realized is I dreamt of, I don't know, in a very practical way, helping people and changing people's life. Mm. And so I think for many, many years, I've been a frustrated doctor because I didn't become a doctor. I was in France and I was very good in mass. And in mass, it's the royal way in France. So I became an engineer and I did my MBA and I went into business and so on. But that all through, it was this burning thing about I'm a frustrated doctor. And that's why when I started, and I was about more than about 13 years ago, when I started to work smarter, live better, I think I'm compensating for me not being a doctor. (laughs) It is, can I do something practical and almost surgical to help people change their life? And there's been the, the dream that I've been carried. And now I've realized that I'll never become a surgeon, but I'll become a productivity surgeon or a productivity doctor. I don't know how you call it, but that what makes my day is, is you know, working with people and helping in achieving their dreams and achieving what they want to do. Yeah, fantastic. And I, I love that because your dreams obviously has come through, but in a different form. Life is very interesting how it brings, but you know, if you keep your dreams, the motivation behind, so yes, it has come true, to be honest with you. Yeah, fantastic. So tell us a little bit about, for anyone who hasn't come across your book yet, tell me how you got to dreaming about being a doctor, but actually now doing what you're doing. So it didn't start with a book. Um, I think it started with... It started with my own experience. So when I finished my MBA, I started working. And in my early 30s, I became one of the manager of British Airways in France. And when I got the job, you know, young, uh, you know, early 30, full energy, top job, I was so proud. Uh, TK, my wife, used to say that when we were going to the airport, I own British Airways. I was looking at planes, it was me. She was like, (laughs) so calm down. So I loved it. I was really, really proud. But then he hit me. I was uh, the leader of a team of about 14 people. And so I had like so many day-to-day things to do with the team. I was part of the leadership team and I was completely swamped with email. I was swamped with meeting, based in Paris, but flying all the way, all the time to London, to the head office. And it really hit me at the time. And I I think it was the, the first seed that got planted, where you realize that you can be busy, 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 and you can work more and more hours, harder and harder, but are you really achieving things? It's a different story. And so I think there was a seed that got planted. And then quite a few years after, I moved to Australia in in 2001, and I started working with a company that were doing consulting, and they had something about coaching and, and productivity, and something clicked, something clicked there. And what I really realize is a lot of people are thinking strategy. A lot of people are thinking, where do I want to go? Where do the company want to go uh, long terms? And I decided to take the problem completely the other way around and say, great to have strategy, but what are you doing on a day-to-day basis in a very practical way to achieve this strategy? And so the first thing I started doing with people um, is taking them through a journey. So my first clients were leaders. is taking them through a journey where, number one, my first starting point was, let's clear your desk. As simple as this, it is the logic of to say, I know you've got all those great ideas, but you can't focus in a pigsty. So let's reorganize. And 15 years ago, desks were very messy. 
Yeah. So I would go and help people, and it was a it was a four or five months journey. But step one was as simple as this: clear your desk, clear your file, reorganize your inbox, reorganize your calendar. Very simple things. And I got struck by the number of people who would shoot my hand, and it's like you've left it such a weight out of me. Yes, we would talk about priority after, but first thing I was I was starting with really simple, practical things, and that's where it started. And I never ever intended to write a book. The book is like unexpected. Why? Because so for, for so many years, a lot of my clients have been on my back and were saying to me, Cyril, you need to write a book about that. And I'm like, I'm French. I'm not English. So writing a book in English. In, I've never been a writer. Yeah. I've never read. So I was like, no way. And then one day I decided, well, stop procrastinating. Yes. <laughs> Just <laughs> Looking do it. Looking at your own advice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Listening to your own advice. So I decided it was a big rock or something important. And I decided, let's do it. And I wrote this book. But I wrote this book really interestingly after quite a few years of doing it. Well, I think what I've put in this book is to say, let me show you some very practical thing that you can do. And people, even till today, they really resonate with that. Um, yesterday, I was talking with one of my clients. I did a, a big speech for a big financial company in London uh, recently. And they say, what we really loved about the session you've done is how practical it was. They talk about so many nuggets, so many things that people can apply. And I think that's, for me, the important thing is great that you have great ideas and great philosophy, but show people step one, what to do. Mm. Step two, step three, very practical. And that's what people resonated with. Yeah. That was the start of the book. Yeah. And I, I love that. And I so resonate with that too. Because, you know, when I'm procrastinating and when I when I have, uh, because we're all humans, right? So we all procrastinate in our own different ways. And when I need to do something big and something that is, you know, challenging or something, you know, that create, requires a bit of thinking, I always start with cleaning out something. Yes. So I either, you know, desk is, uh, I have a clean desk policy, but I often go into my cupboards or, and I get so excited. And sometimes I put that onto my family members, you know, my, my partner, Paul, or, or kids, and they like, that's not my priority. And I'm like, no, but this is what makes you, you come alive and, and actually make it happen. But, you know, we all, of course, very different. So that doesn't always work <laughs> with everyone else, but for me, certainly. Can I I share a little story of working with you when you and I worked at your desk. Yes. And I Absolutely. remember because you're a very creative person. Yeah. But what really, really struck me at the time is you had this folder with all your creativity ideas and all the things you were keeping. But because it was all over the place is one thing. And then you really enjoy the fact that I can be creative, but I still need to be organized to be creative. So you create this folder with all your little ideas that you will collect and then block a time in your diary to be creative. Yeah. And that's exactly the point. Creativity, people think that to be creative, you need to be messy and so on. I agree have a clear mind and so therefore yeah you can be very creative rather than having a very messy mind and so therefore not being creative so i still remember when you and yeah, i were yeah. sitting at your yeah, desk yeah i get so excited and i still get so excited <laughs> to uh, even if there's just a tiny bit now because obviously when we started working together it was much more paper involved versus yes. now there's less so but i still get super excited and it's same with my clothes like if i do my you know reorganizing my wardrobe i feel good for for weeks so absolutely <laughs> so tell us for our listeners who are struggling with procrastination and time management and productivity, what would be like step one? Obviously, desk we talked about, but what, what give us some tips, some practical tips that for people who haven't uh, come across your work yet. Because one thing that I loved about your book and also when we met was the um, theory that people are happy to 
give their time away versus they don't want to give money away, but we sometimes put more emphasizes, uh, emphasizes on, on money. money versus time. So that's something I love to talk to, because, but we can come back to that if that's not part of your, your um, tips. I think let's start with this because behind that for me is a very important philosophy. And the philosophy behind what we do is, is exactly what you mentioned. So let, let's give the little example. If I come to you, Christina, and say, Christina, can you give me $500? <laughs> I, would say, I would say, no, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> I so, would use more colorful language, but not exactly. on the podcast. <laughs> so, and that's what most people do. Most people would say either no or why or why should I give you some money and so on. They want to find a reason. Why do we give our time so freely? How easy it is now with new technology, um, with Outlook, for example, for people using Outlook or any other system to accept meetings, mm-hmm. to give our time freely. And so we are far more conscious with our money than we are our time. But for me, it needs to be the opposite. And the reason why is if you give away $500 or if you lose $500, you can always win it back, save it, save it back and you know, earn it back. Every hour, every day that you give away, you will never get it back. Um, Really interesting to read, to listen to the people who went through life-threatening incident. Either they had cancer and they survived, or they had a car crash and they were supposed to die and they survived. I was looking the other day at an interesting story about a guy who was lost at sea um, after a diving um, experience and who spent four days completely lost at sea before being rescued and a complete miracle. All those people share the same things. It completely changed their perspective of time because they realize that time is a very finite thing. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. In all seriousness, at the end of this interview and this discussion with you, taking my car to go back to my office, something could happen to me. Mm-hmm. Or tonight, or tomorrow, or in a week time, or in a year time. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. And I can't change this. Yes, I can be a bit more careful, especially with my driving, with uh, you know the French driver yes, here. I was going yes. to say that. <laughs> but I can't change this. Something had happened yeah. to me. The only thing I can change is to make sure that I leave every minute to this fullest. Even worse, Christina, you and I are parents. Something could happen to one of our beautiful kids. Something could happen to Paul, to your husband, to Tony, to TK, to my wife, to one of our kids. There's nothing we can do about this. The only thing you you and I can do is to live with no regret, to say that, if something happened, I have lived every minute to its fullest with the people I love. And for me, this is the philosophy of the whole things. It's about being alive. Quite often, people who don't know what we do and just see some of our clients will say, oh, Cyril and his team, is it about clean desk, clean folders, cleaning box, organizing your calendar and so on? And I would say, yes, I know. Yes, that's what you see. But the real philosophy behind that is, be alive, live every minute to its fullest, to the thing that really matter for you, because you don't know how long you're going to be here. And you don't know how long your loved one is going to be here. That's the philosophy. Yeah. Now, you ask, how do I start this? My starting point is to declutter. Yep. That's the starting point. I would say there are three phases in what we do. I call them declutter, focus, and lead. Declutter is to say, I know that's not the most important thing, but it is more important than you realize Let's put the right foundation. Let's clear the deck. The first thing we do is we declutter your space, which is 
now it's not the hard file, it's moving into the soft file, open inbox, and people only have hundreds of email in their inbox, but they have folders, subfolders, sub, sub, subfolders. Um, you open their soft file, you open their My Documents, you open their OneDrive or whatever system they're using, and there's document galore. And I don't care what it looks like. What I care is, are you wasting time looking for things you already have? Yes. And is that stressing you the way you work? So I clear the desk with your filing. I clear the desk with your inbox. I mean, the inbox is unbelievable. Mm. For 20 years ago, people would be receiving 5, 10, 20 emails per day. Now people are receiving 70, 80, 100 emails per day. Some of my clients are receiving three to 400 emails per day. It's insane. Yeah, that is crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. And so you need to clean this and clear that, clear your meetings, clear your time. So the first thing I say, you need to declutter your life. Yeah. And there's a few steps in doing this. Yeah. Then you can go into focus. And focus is focus is to say that performance is not about quantity. Performance is not about the number of email you're responding, the number of meeting you're doing. Performance is are you focusing on the right things? Are you focusing on the few things that will have the most impact? That's the second step. But I take the second step once I've cleared the deck and we've put the right foundation. That's the second step, which is focus. And then the third step is about lead. Lead is about leverage. It's to say, how can I leverage what I do around me, with my team, in my personal life? I believe all those principles are as important, if not more, in our personal life yeah. and for the rest of my career. But to answer your question, I start with clearing the deck. Yeah. Beautiful. One thing I want to talk about is um, the, something I have in my book, which is a chapter called Life is Short. And I get the people who read the book to imagine if they were to die in three years' time. Because I think sometimes, especially when you're young, you think you're going to live forever. And we all know that it's going to end one day, but, and we don't know when that is going to be. But my dream is to live till I'm 120, but you don't, don't know if that's going to happen. No. But I have this exercise in, in my book where I get people to imagine if they were to die in three years' times, what different, what would you do differently today compared to what you, if you, you are you, doing. Yeah. And often that connects us to our heart because if you think about three years, that's a very short time. And what would you do differently that is really meaningful versus just because sometimes, you know, we just, you know, we say yes to things that we don't really want to say yes to. So I can so relate to. to yeah, there, there's, I love your exercise. I think it's a really great one. There's a book that really resonated with me called Chasing Daylight. Yeah. It's a great one. Great one. Eugene Kelly, who is the CEO of KPMG, if yeah. I remember well, in the US, yeah. and who found out very successful uh, family man, businessman, really successful, I think in his 50s or late, uh, early 60s, and was not really well, um, and took a lot of thought, went to see a doctor and found out that he had brain tumor, and was told he had three months to live. Yeah. So he did about three years. He yeah. was told he had three months to live. And in three months, wrote a book called Chasing Daylight about his completely perspective of time. Yeah. And that's for me the learning. You could have three months to live. Yeah. Who knows? Something yeah. can happen to you. At least Eugene Kelly knew. Yeah. could do something about it. And I love your philosophy of saying, live your life as if. Yeah. Just put what's really important for, uh, in first. Very practical things. Some evening I look at my email, I've got, gee, I've got so many emails to respond and I've got my daughter who wants to spend some quality time. The answer is super simple. Yeah. Sod the email, 
because something could happen to her or to me tomorrow, let's have quality time together. Yeah. It's a simple thing like this. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, the biggest, there's so many takeaways out of your book that I have implemented in my life, but one that I think I often talk to other people about when I specifically meet young entrepreneurs that are just starting up because, you know, it's just often crazy in startup times where you don't have a team to delegate and you have a full inbox and you have lots of things going on. It's the priorities, like the rocks, I think you call the it. The big rocks. The big rocks. But that's the one that I, I think makes such a difference. Uh, you know, what can you do in the next three months to make the biggest impact to your big strategy or your big goals or whatever, dreams or whatever they are? So maybe talk about those. Yes. It's interesting, Christina, because I was doing last year a, a roadshow for Microsoft. Um, I have the pleasure and privilege of working with, with Microsoft. And they asked me to do a roadshow around Australia on you know, the modern workplace. And what I really was quite amazed is Microsoft asked me as a product expert to come and say, it's not only about the tools, but it's also about your behavior with those tools. Mm -hmm. And in the end, one of the executive of Microsoft did an interview like we're doing. And he asked me a very interesting question. He said, Cyril, if you had one advice to give about time management or one advice to give about working more effectively. And it's a hard one because, as you know, when we work with a team, we take them through a four or five months journey. It's yeah. not a magic wand. So I really thought about this and I, and I spoke about exactly what, what you're talking. And my advice was, if you have one mind shift to make, it's prioritized by impact. Mm. What does it mean? Really interesting research done by Franklin Covey. Some of you might have heard about this great book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And the organization behind Stephen Covey is called Franklin Covey. And they did a research about how people prioritize. And they found that most of us and most people, the average person prioritize because of deadline. You have 26 to do, things to do. You look at them and you ask yourself, when is it due? And if something is due today, you'll do it before something which is due tomorrow and before something is due in a week time. That's what most people do. And then they surveyed high performers, and they wanted to see if there was a difference. And what they found is high performer do a bit differently. High performer prioritize not because of deadline, but because of impact. Mm -hmm. The mind shift, before we talk about the three months and so on logic, the mind shift that is really important for most people is to change forwards for forwards. The forwards that most people have is, when is it due? The forward you need to sweep is what impact long-term. Yeah. Now, what does that mean practically? I have an approach that I call think quarterly, plan weekly, act daily. What does that mean? Think quarterly. Every quarter, I ask myself this very simple question. What are the three priorities that if I focus on for the next quarter will have the most impact? And I only choose two or three, not five, not 10, because I know that if I take too much on, I will fail. Yeah. So my prioritized by impact is something that I use every quarter and every quarter I ask myself, and it's a question that I think everyone in every business should ask. Everyone, mm -hmm. not only the CEO, not only the executive, everyone, every quarter to ask themselves, I know where we're going as a business. I know where the strategy, what does that mean for me next quarter? What are the two or three priorities? And I call them big rocks. Yeah. Now, they're not a big mountains, which is too long to do. They're not a small or a big boulders. They're not a small pebble. They're something quite large, but still manageable. That's the big rocks. And they're the three things that if I focus on will have the most impact. So every quarter, I think big rocks. Every week, I think big rocks. Why? At the, the end of every week, I look at my next week. And the first thing I do, it's a super important time. 
Very, very important. At the end of every week, I plan my next week. The first thing I do when I plan my next week, I take my big rocks, which I've defined on a quarterly basis. I look at my big rocks and I'm agile. What does that mean being agile? It means I look at my big rocks and ask myself, I'm not going to think about what I need to do for those big rocks for the next three months. I say next week or the next two weeks, what do I need to do to progress those big rocks? That's it. And I plan that and I prioritize that in my diary. On a daily basis, so think quarterly. I'm clear every quarter on my big rocks. Plan weekly. Every week, I think about my big rocks and I plan them in my diary. Act daily. Every day, I have this logic of I need to protect my big rocks. Let me give you a very simple example. Email. We're inundated with email. I receive an email and I look at it and I say, I could do the perfect answer in half an hour. What impact long term? You remember those four words? What impact long term? Very little. I'm going to do a crap answer in five because I'd rather keep those 25 for something more important. I use this philosophy, this big rock philosophy and this impact philosophy on a quarterly, on a weekly and on a daily basis. So important. Yeah. So one of the things that I implemented, I think, after we did some work together was the 90 minutes first thing. So I clear, uh, I have between 9 and 10.30 where I don't do any meetings and and I don't check my emails. I mean, when I say that, I'm absolutely not perfect, of course. Um, and it's a little bit different now because I travel so much more. So, so you know, I'm less in the office. But it, that was really, really impactful for me. Yeah, there was a really interesting uh, story on this one. And when I started pushing people to do this, one of my clients is one of the biggest consulting firm in the world. And I have the privilege of working with all their partners around the world, literally around the world with all of them. And they... One of the partners shared a really interesting story. Uh, I was in the UK, in London, working with a group of partners from this big consulting firm. And one of the partners shared this story. He had a big client where the CEO had this reputation for being very effective. And so they were having dinner. And he asked him and said, look, you've got this reputation. Tell me, what are your discipline? What are your trick? Yes. You know, what do you love do? It. We'll love it. We'll love the little trick. We'll love the little trick. And the CEO said, look, there's quite a few things. But he said, there's one discipline which has been really important for me. I call this discipline my first three hours. And so the partner said, well, what do you mean by your first three hours? Say, I have this very simple rule. The first three hours of my working day has to be spent on a long-term priority. Mm. To the point that if my team book a meeting in my diary at eight o'clock and I've accepted this meeting and this meeting is not a long-term priority, I will start my working day at five o'clock to make sure that the first three hours of my day, when my brain is fresh, mm. is for something that's going to have an impact long term. A little bit extreme, but made him very successful. My point here to a lot of people, what a lot of people do when they start the day is they jump into email. Yeah. I asked Christina a very simple question to the people that I coach. I said, take your inbox, look at all your emails, and tell me honestly, out of the first 10 emails you have, how many will have an impact long term on your performance? And the average answer I get is one. So people look at the email and say, well, out of those 10 emails, the first 10 emails in my inbox, there is one who might have an impact long term and the rest will have a little. That's the average. It varies from people yeah. to people. And my point is here. If 90% of your email will have no impact long term on your performance, why do you want to spend the best time of your day, the morning, when your brain is fresh, when your creativity is at the top, on something which is not important? Block the first hour and a half, two hours of your day 
and then reopen for business and jump into email and crisis and so on. But protect this prime time, this thinking time. So completely agree with you. Very yeah. important time. Yeah. Love it. Thank you so much. I absolutely love it. So um, I get a lot of questions about work-life balance and there is different views on what work-life balance is. But I'd love to know how you define work-life balance and if you feel you have work-life balance, what does that mean to you and how do you do it? Ah, that's a really deep and interesting question. For me, work-life balance is actually linked to applying exactly the same, same principle and same logic to my personal life. There's an interesting lady um, who, I think her name is Bronnie Ware. Yes, she's in my book. I'm, I'm is she amazing? Her. I, yeah. The Five Regrets of Dying. Yeah. So Bronnie Ware is a palliative care nurse. Yeah. Who, so palliative care nurse means that she works with a lot of people who are about to die. And she wrote this book called The Five Regrets of Dying. The regret number one is so linked to what you do, Christina, is people say that they haven't achieved half of their goals mm. and they're dying knowing that they haven't achieved half of their goals and it's only due to themselves, yeah. to the choice they've made or they've not made. Yeah. And so for me, work-life balance doesn't mean not working long hours, doesn't mean so on. Work-life balance means a few things. First of all, it's meaning that I have, I'm progressing. I, I know progress means I'm clear about my goals, my personal goals. And I have the feeling that actually I'm living my personal goals. I'm living a life. Um, when I do a big speech, sometimes I ask a question. So we have a, a discussion about performance. And I quote the, uh, one of the books which is here, which is Think and Grow Rich from yep. Napoleon Hill. Mm -hmm. And in his research, Napoleon Hill started studying high performers, people who uh, really achieve a lot and, you know, interviewed the Rockefeller in the world and the top 500 uh, people at the time performing in the US. And he wrote this book called Think and Grow Rich. And basically, the main message of the book is this, is this people who are high performing, they know what's really important for them and they review their goals on a daily basis to ask themselves, how can I achieve this? So they're clear on their goals, they write their goals down, and they review their goals on a daily basis. So I do really large speech, and we talk about performance in the business. And then quite often I ask this question. So I'm going to have 500 people in front of me. And I ask a simple question. I say, well, let's forget your business goals. Let's talk about your personal life. Can you raise your hand if you've taken the time to think about your personal life, to think about what you want to achieve in your life? And normally I have about 20% of the hands up. Now, I'm in a civilized country, in a Western world, with people quite well-educated, but I still have 80% of the people in the room who've never asked themselves this question. Mm. What success in my life looks like? Then ask a second question. I say, for those people who've raised their hand, who've taken the time to think about their life, can now you raise your hand if you've written it down? In whatever format. Yeah. And normally I've got about five, five, six percent of the hands up. And then ask a third question. You've taken the time to think about it. You have written it down in whatever format and you review it regularly, at least on a weekly basis. And I'm lucky to have three or four hands up. Yeah. And so when you talk about work-life balance, for me, work-life balance starts about clarity, being very clear about what's really important for you. Yeah. Knowing what our, you know, what a, a, a successful life looks like. Why is so obvious in the business world? I don't know any CEOs, any MD, any b leaders of a business. I would say, yeah, we have a strategy, but we keep it in our mind. We haven't written down. Everyone, like it's basic one on one. Yeah. Write down your goals and your strategy. Why don't we do that at the at the personal side? Yeah. 
on your deathbed, what's going to be most, imp uh, most important? Success in your business life or success in your personal life? Mm -hmm. The answer is obvious. Yeah. So why wouldn't we apply the same logic? So work-life balance means for me first the same discipline. I have written my goals. I know what really they are. I review them on a quarterly basis. I plan them on a weekly basis. And so it gives me the feeling that my life is full of the things that matter for me. Yeah. That's number one. And then I've designed my routines. So I've got weekly routine, daily routine. I've designed my life to make sure that I have protected a lot of time for the thing that matters. And so I do work long hours. I love, I'm so passionate what I do. Yeah. I can be consumed about it. But I have an amazing work-life balance. I used to have an office. I actually bought an office many years ago in Sydney. I sold my office and I work from home. Why? Because I can have breakfast with my kids. Yeah. I can have lunch with my wife when she's around. I have finished working around 6.30 in the evening and I'm home with them. Yeah, I do travel like you. I travel the world and go and see clients. But when I'm here in Australia and Sydney, I have I'm so much quality time with, with my family. I do my passion. I have a few passions in my life and I really live them. I have an amazing work-life balance yeah. because I put first what really matters. I'm alive every day. Yeah. So my health is really good. I really care to get careful of what I eat, how much I exercise. My big rocks, personal big rocks are there. My routine there. And so, yes, you ask me if I have an amazing work-life balance. Amazing. The best yeah. I've ever had. Wonderful. So and it I mean. feels like you, I was going to ask you if you feel like you're living your, your dream life and uh, it feels like you really are. I pinch myself. We have this expression with my wife. We, we've just moved out, uh, moved, moved out now and uh, just in, in a no lovely place called the Northern Beaches of Sydney. And we've, we've bought a house that we always wanted and so on. And it took us 15 years to get there. And every day we wake up with my wife and we said, another day in paradise. Mm. That's the expression. And to be honest with you, more than the financial success, more than the house, more than anything else, is to look at my kids, to look at my family. When I look at happiness, the first thing I look at is my family and how happy I am with them. I look at my French family and the family that are in France, and I have the pleasure of seeing them two or three times a year. Look at my friends and how amazing people surround me. Look at the people around me in the business, my clients. And it's all about people. And... Yeah, it's another day in paradise, to yeah. be honest with you. Love it, love it. So in my book, I talk about always looking at in terms of who can help you because I feel like we often look at what we need to do. But I think sometimes if you actually first thinking who can help me in achieving this dream, who are these people who can help me who have done it before? In terms of your life, have you had anyone who's, who's been really important to you making your dream life coming true in many ways or have you had a mentor or who has inspired you good i had a few i think one of my first mentors was my dad yeah he is the most humanist man that you can see so well loved uh you know truly taught me the the power of loving and caring for other he's the most caring and it's not saying because it's my dad he's the most caring person that you can see anyone who's is not in the right situation he would call them every day check on them uh, my godfather unfortunately lost his wife two years ago and i remember talking last year to my godfather uh, who's a very dear friend of my father and my godfather edouard said Without your dad, I don't know if I would have made it. Mm. My dad was there every day to call, to check, and so on. That's my dad. So it took me the, the importance of caring. I had a leader when I was young, uh, and I was the GM of a, a small business, 
and Magnus, he's, uh, he's based in uh, Stockholm, yeah. Magnus Nilsson. He was one of the most amazing leaders, uh, both developing you, but really trusting you and empowering you. And it really taught me the, the lesson of empowering people, trusting people. It was probably the best leader that I ever had. And I'm still in contact. I was in Stockholm last year and uh, caught up with Magnus. Uh, even after 20, 25 years, we had a game of squash. I beat him. Uh, <laughs> that was lovely. Um, so it was a, a, an amazing leader. There have been some people that I haven't met, but they have really taught me a lot. For me, Stephen Covey and re- uh, uh, reading the, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, mm. uh, reading First Things First and all this. And i shame that he died a few years ago. I would have... I would have loved meeting him. Yeah. And that's why I message for everyone. Just don't wait. Just, yeah. you know, meet the people that you want to meet. And I am part now of, I've, I've got the chance of having two amazing mentors in my business. One is the leader of a very big business based in the UK, but a worldwide business is a leadership training company who very kindly has accepted to mentor me. And, uh, you know, we have quarterly catch up and it's so useful and one neil is uh, is retired now but was the leader of one of the biggest communication business here in australia who developed it around the world and to have those people that can guide you and mentor you and probably the last one is i would add is a group of people i'm part of a group of thought leader mm-hmm. thought leader are trainer speaker mentor coach and um, we're all the, the, in the same kind of logic but from all kind of different business and there's about 120 130 of us and we get together it's a it's a black belt program so you move to the back black belt but we get we get together once every quarter we meet we talk we exchange we get trained mm-hmm. but it's much more than a training is mixing with people who you can share the same issues you can ask for advice and that's probably my advice to many people the same as you. Ask yourself who, because that will accelerate. That's one of my mistakes. It took me too long to realize that. Mm-hmm. It's never uh, too late to realize, but I wish I had done that 30 years ago. Yeah. Ask yourself who, that will make a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I so agree because I often get the question, how do you get in contact with all these people? But it's, you know, the in the modern world today, it's amazing because there's podcasts to learn from. There's like a lot of training courses. There's a lot of books and audio books if you're not a reader. There's just so many opportunities. And I think it's to have that in your mind. I'll give you the example of Neil. Neil is someone that I wanted to be uh, introduced to for, and I really didn't know how to. I have no idea and so on. And then many years ago, I got a call from a company called Starlight Foundation here mm-hmm. in Australia. Uh, we do an amazing job because they help uh, kids who are sick in, ho- in, in, in hospital. And so they gave me a call and say, can you come and do a workshop? You know, we don't have a lot of money and so on, but can you do a workshop for us? And I, anyway, to go long story short, I said, there's no way you're going to pay a dollar because what you do is amazing. So I'll work pro bono for you. So I've been working with them. So very happy to do this. One day, completely by chance, I'm checking their website and I see that on the board is Neil. See? See. Yeah. And so I asked the CEO, would you introduce me to Neil? And Neil, and no issue to become a mentor. So it is when you have that in your mind. So there's two lessons in my, my mind here. One is have be clear about what you want and then the opportunity will happen. Mm-hmm. And the second one is it's a world about giving because the more you give, the more you get. Yeah. And I'm so convinced about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important too to put people that, you know, you didn't know how you were going to meet him. But I think it's important to write down all these people, even if they seem impossible. Uh, you know, people like I have people like Oprah Winfrey, Michelle Obama, and I have no idea if that ever is going to happen. But if you don't write it down and I have it on Visha Board and even I have even created, you know, on there when we do the podcast with you, there will be a picture of you. And 
and me together and we will use, use that for social media. And I've actually put Richard Branson on there. <laughs> I've put <laughs> Oprah, Michelle Obama, Stella McCartney, all those people that I really want to have on the podcast one day. And it just remind looking at that every day reminds me and it's, it's I'm getting used to seeing them <laughs> so much that I, I think it's not going to be impossible, but I have no idea how it's going to be happening. 100%. Yeah. Start with the, the idea, the dream, and then yeah. we'll find a way to make it yeah. happen. And you never know who, that's why I, when I do my dream workshops, I always ask people to share because you never know who's in the audience who can help the people who have dreams. And also sometimes saying them out loud makes you really, you know, focusing on them as well. Love that. Yeah, fantastic. So something that pops up a lot in your book is your advice that reading is easy, changing is hard when it comes to changing habits. If you could give one piece of advice to listeners looking to change their habits, what would it be? Start small, start now, start be persistent. So I'll probably summarize in start small is there's many things that you can do to improve. Just pick one or two to start with. Start small because if you manage to make the one of the two, success breeds success. And so if you manage to, so when we work with, with a team and, and we're here to help them, we start with little wins, like as I said, tidying. It's not a big deal. It's not that hard, but it's a big, it's a little wins, but they make them start. So start small. So that's, that's one. And then it's, it's really about do it now. It's, I think it was a general pattern as this expression, which is a good plan violently executed now is much better than a perfect plan to execute it tomorrow. Mm. What I mean by that is, for me, there's nothing better than if you want to do something, just start it small, but start it straight away. Yeah. And so I think the success of what we've been doing with all of our clients is because when we work with them, we actually pin them down at their desk yep. in their office. You might remember when we work with yes. you and your leadership team, I close the door and I say, guys, we're going to manage your inbox, for example, because that was a big problem. And I say, well, let me give you the principle. Okay. I'm going to share with you some simple things, small things that you can do, but I'm going to lock the room. I'm going to put through the key out of the window and we're going to stay in this room until you've done it. Yeah. And that's the key. Yeah. And so it's start small, but start now. Mm. Do it now. Apply it straight away. So don't say to yourself, yeah, yeah, in a week time, well, I have time. No, no, no. Just a little thing that you can do straight away. Start small, start now. And then my last advice is be persistent. There's a lot of research about how long it takes to change your habit. There's a big debate between the 21 day and the 60, uh, 60 yeah, day. You remember this discussion? Days, yeah, yeah. And how, many, how many days? 66, is it? yeah. 66. Yeah. So 21, 66, I don't know. You know yeah. I haven't done the research on this one. What I know is habits die hard. You're fighting against years and years of doing the same thing in the same way. And there's a beautiful expression in English, which is what's the difference between a hassle and a habit? The difference between a hassle and a habit is two weeks. For two weeks, it's a hassle. After two weeks, it becomes a habit. Yeah. What I'm trying to say here is if you really want to change some of your habit, start small, something which is manageable. Do it now and accept that for two or three weeks. It's going to be a bit of a hassle because you are in a de-learning mode yeah. and you need to undo the pathway and redo a new neurological pathway. And so persist for two or three weeks. And after two or three weeks, it will start being a habit. That's, in my view, how you start changing your habits. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I couldn't agree more. I feel that a lot of people that I tend to meet is that they, they think it's so hard that they actually don't do it. But I think starting small and actually just do some kind of action. You know, we have, me and Paul often talk about 
action beats inaction. So let's just do something towards it. And then, you know, you often start building the momentum. The, the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. Yeah. It's like, how do you make people who've never jogged in their life run a marathon? Yeah. You don't put them on the train mill and make them marathon women. You said, okay, the first week, you're going to go out every day and you're going to walk 10 minutes. Yeah. Is that achievable? Yeah, it's easy. And so the first week they went, they, they walked 10 minutes every day. And then the second week, they move it to 15. And the third week, they move it to 20 and so on until they decide that now they're working for walking 45 minutes a day, they might as well do a little jogging of 20 minutes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And in three months' times, little by little, they'll get to run 10Ks. Yeah. Now, it sounds unbelievable if you move from nothing to 10Ks, yeah. but by little step, they get there. Uh, there's a, an amazing story for this. Was it Chasing the Void? This guy who, those two mountaineers who were lost in the in Nepal, they're trying to do to climb a summit and reach the summit, a summit that had never been done by this side, managed to reach, so left on their own, completely just like two guys, two English guys, managed to climb the summit and on the way down one of them broke his leg which meant this because at this high I mean this and it's the story of how they survived and to cut a long story short one of them broke his leg and then fell into a crevasse and then was left dead by his friends and how he survived is big and how he managed to on his own cramp like really crawling down on the floor managed to walk through a whole glacier managed to walk back down the mountains how he managed to do this the only way he managed to do this is by thinking only 100 meters at a time yeah so we look 100 meters ahead and he would say my goal is 100 meters when i'll get there i'm fine and then when he get there and say okay i'll give you another five minutes and i've got another 100 meters when i get there i'm fine and that's for me the thing. Don't look at getting being being saved. Look at the little tiny step that you can do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's an amazing movie to to watch and an amazing yeah. book to read. Yeah, and it's also um, there's a great saying. It's about progress, not perfection. Because 100%. I think sometimes we we want the plan to be perfect. We want the situation to be perfect, but it's actually about just not thinking about that, but actually just do some progress on. And everyone really, I mean, sometimes people come to me and say, Cyril, are you an expert? You wrote a book about that. You must be perfect. And my answer is very simple. Talk to my wife. She'll tell you how unperfect I am <laughs> and how much progress I um, Recently, I've, I've celebrated two years ago my 50th birthday, not to tell you my age, but for my 50th birthday, my wife did a beautiful present. She wrote me a book called Work Smarter, Live Better, The Alternate Version. <laughs> And so, I love that. you know, on the front page of my book, you have two <laughs> shoes. You have the normal book. You have the business shoes and uh, the, uh, the, the the orange, you know, sneakers and so on. It's got the work-life balance. Well, she did a book where on one side, the, the image was uh, my flippers because I love spearfishing. And the other side, my hook boots because when I'm home, I love my hook boots. And they were my hook boots. And it was just the alternate version and all my flaws about all the thing that I procrastinate, <laughs> that I don't do right, that I don't prioritize and so on. And she did that with my friends. Aww. Best present I ever got. And it's just tell you, I'm far from being perfect. Yeah. Think perfect. Think progress not perfection completely yeah. agree yeah i love you sharing that because i i have you know obviously 
what I'm talking about and what I'm doing. Everyone thinks that I'm doing it perfectly, and it's so far from so it. Far and, from um, the truth. So I have had a couple of friends uh, saying that I should do another version of my book. Just pull, just pull. But you can't put, you know. And I always say, well, yeah, I couldn't put everything into that book. So there's a few more books to come, no doubt. But absolutely, I love that. That is so funny. I think, especially today's age, where we're looking at social media, where for people who want to share their life, um, often share, obviously, only the good things because that's the most inspiring and that sometimes can be taken the wrong way because of course we all have sides that is not perfect and we're all working and that's what I, that's what I love about being alive at this time I love being alive right now because there's so much that we have so much opportunities to to become better and to improve and be inspired and and it's so easy accessible you can go online do some learning oh. read some amazing books there's so many accessible that you know it's just about you and if you want to do it I mean I know that you're like me you have your pile of books to read oh, I've got the same yes. I've got exactly the same at home and so I remember seeing your piles of book to read but there's so many interesting things yeah. so many TED talks to walk so many research to read so many things so yeah learning and improvement improvement is just so easy today yeah love it so before we finish up I want to just touch a little bit about inbox because I know that, that that's a big issue uh, for a lot of people uh, that I meet and also something that you know I struggle a lot with and you know one of the things that I decided to do uh, when we did our work many years ago was to have an out-of-office reply saying that I don't check my emails which of, course, which of course a lot of people have used on that I think you know who do you think you are that can do that and I always say well it's my life and I decide what I want to do but of course that doesn't work for everyone to have an out of office reply saying that I'm not checking emails. But for the people listening, what advice can you do if you have a few thousand emails in your inbox or a few hundred or whatever it is? It's all relative to whoever is listening. But what is your first step in terms of of really tackling that? Because you know, there's some people saying, well, don't even think about it because you can use search. And then some people say in book zero is the ultimate and some people think in between. So okay, like, what's just, my advice? Yeah. So I think before talking about the advice, we need to think about what's the problem. If you have a system that works really well for you and you don't have any problem, you don't need to change anything. So the last thing I want to do is to change something that works for you. But what do I see? The problem that I see are a few things. First of all, some people said to me, Cyril, I've got so many emails that I'm struggling to find things that I'm looking for. So it's a searching for an email is a nightmare. You know, I have folders, subfolders, subsets of folders, and I always forget where I've put the damn email and yeah. which folder and subfolder I put it. It's just a big thing. Uh, for some people, it's I can't manage the flow. I receive more every day than I can deal with. And so I'm struggling with the amount of email that I'm... I, uh, for some people, they say it's a nightmare because it's, uh, it's nonstop. I mean, I... I might go to bed with inbox zero because I work in a global company. I wake up and there's another 50 email or 100 emails that have come over overnight. There's so many problems with inbox. I think I want to I want to deal with that in two different aspects. One is about decluttering, and one is about managing. The decluttering is this. I do a little video blog, and two years ago I did a video blog in I was in London and I did a video blog called I call 801010, and it got a lot of people talking. And my 801010 video blog was this. Out of 100 emails you receive, 80 should end up to your biggest file called My Friend the Bin. 10 should end up to your second biggest file called Halfway to the Bin. And only 10% should be kept. Why? 
in the old days of papers, 85% of what people would keep in papers, 85% of people, paper people would keep, they will never go back to it again. Yeah. Have a guess with email. What is the percentage of email that people keep that they will never, ever go back to it again? I would guess 85. <laughs> I would go 99. All right. The vast majority, Christina, it's even more than that. Yeah. The huge, I see people, they have kept, I see people in the company, they've been in the company for 20 years, they've kept every email for the last 20 years. Mm. Thousands and thousands of email. 99% of that, they will never go back to it yeah. again. My point is here, I'm not saying you should delete 99, but I think you should at least delete 80%. Yeah. So that's my first things. Then, how do you keep the rest? I think forget the folder logic. I now move into, you have three things. An inbox, which is I have received an information, I haven't dealt with it. A halfway to the bin, which is I need to keep it for a few days, but after a few days, I'm happy to delete. Yeah. And an archive. And an archive is I need to keep it, and I just put it there. Why? Because the search tool, whether you're using Outlook or Gmail, the search tools are so good now yeah. that you can find things very, very quickly and you don't need to keep create folders. Yeah. That's what I suggest. Yeah. That's for the filing. Yeah. For the dealing with email, two suggestions. Batching and one touch, one decision. Batching is don't look at your email all the time. Yeah. Have two, three email batch per day. That they are you put in your diary. You have a meeting with yourself, let's say twice a day for most people it works. Two times thirty minutes. And for those two times thirty minutes, that's your email triage. The rest of the time, it doesn't mean you can't check email the rest of the time. What's really important is there are times where you do not allow yourself to check email. Yeah. Why? There was a really interesting survey published in the New York Times two years ago. They took a group of people and they made those people do a hard task in a quiet environment. And then in the middle of the task, they introduced a two to three second interruption. What is a two to three second interruption? Is you receive an SMS, it beep, you look, you put down. You haven't opened it, you just checked. Then they compare the result without the interruptions and with the interruptions. Whenever people were confronted with a two or three second interruption, it doubled the rate of errors of what they were doing. Mm. My point is here, my point is, when you decide to work on something really important and create some focus, during that time, switch off your phone, switch off your Outlook, just focus on your one thing. So do only two emails batch per day. You can check you're in between meetings, you're in between discussion, and you check quickly, that's fine. But there are times where you do not allow email. Yeah. That's the batching. Yeah. The one-touch, one decision is very simple. In a, in a very simple nutshell, you open your inbox, you take the first email, and the only question you ask yourself is, how long is it going to take me to deal with it? And you're ruthless. Less than five minutes, more than five minutes. Less than five minutes, do it now. More than five minutes, schedule it in your diary. Next one, next one, next one. You're not doing email when you are managing your inbox. You're just triaging. That's yeah. all what you're doing. Now, people freak out. And they say, Cyril, if I start putting in my calendar, everything which is time-consuming, shoot me now. I will have no time. And I say, great. Because leaving it in your inbox, hoping you'll find the time to do it sometime, is not a good way to prioritize. Yeah. Confronting it to the reality of your diary is an eye-opener. Yeah. Now, for people who get a huge large amount of email, there's some uh, a little bit more in-depth of that that we can go There's different categories. But to make very simple, this is the simplest way, one touch, one decision. You touch an email, 
play it for, for all the people that are listening who resonate with this. I'm going to suggest one little game. As of today, you play a game. Whenever you touch an email, you are not allowed to go to the next one until you've made a decision and moved this email out of your inbox. Yeah, I love that. Simple, but yeah. super hard to play. Yeah. That's the rule you need to play. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I, I learned doing it that way was um, that you become, because if you have a lot of emails, you don't actually have time to, to spend a lot of, on them. And when you realize, and you have your top three priorities, and you have that in mind, when you look at your emails, then uh, it's much easier to make the decision. One impact long term, very little. I'll, I'll spend two minutes on it because yeah. I don't have half an hour to spend on it. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Love it. This has been such a great conversation. I'm going to end with a couple of short questions. I'd love to know if you have a particular morning routine to set you up for a productive day. Yes. So I have actually two routines. Monday and Wednesday, so on Monday morning, it's Monday and Wednesday is more is quality people and the rest of the week is meditation and learning. So let me explain. Every Monday morning, uh, my wife and I go for a walk around the beach. So we wake up at 5.45 and do we an hour walk together and it's our time together. We talk. It's just such seeing the sunrise on, on the beach is mm, just unbelievable. Beautiful. What a way to start our week. And every Wednesday, I cycle with a dear friend who lives nearby. And so same story. We meet up at six and for an hour, we go cycling along the beach. Yeah. Uh, there's a pathway that you can go along. And so it's just a way of starting the day. The rest of the, the, the mornings, I have a, a very planned morning routine. I wake up at 5.45. The first thing I do is I drink water. So every evening before going to bed, I fill a bottle of water that it's next on my bedside table. Why? Because you've just spent eight hours dehydrated. So you're not, don't, you need to hydrate your body. So I drink half a liter straight away. Then I have a 20 minutes meditation. It's both a mindfulness meditation, but also a goal meditation. I think about my life and the people important in my life and my goals in life. And I have also a mindfulness part of it. And then after that, I want to read to learn. I have, like you, a stack of books. And that's my time where I have one. And I just read it. And I read it to learn. I read it with a fluor, with a pen, with writing ideas. And just, you know, I had to learn something about it. Yeah. That takes me to 7 o'clock. At 7 o'clock, I go in the kitchen. My kids, it's pandemonia. Like, kids are getting ready. We have toast together. We talk for the day and so on. 7.30, everyone is gone. Um, I take a quick shower and I get ready for work because I work from home. And that's it. That's my morning routine. Mm, love that. I love. I have very similar similar uh, routine, and I love um, I love the learning bits. And I am always with a pen and a highlighter. I absolutely love it. Do you have a favorite Kiki K product? Yes, actually, one of my favorite Kiki product is one of you know the the notebook, which is there was a yellow notebook on it, mm-hmm. and. You know, I have all those notebooks that I write now, uh, I write things on it and so on, which is this crap. I love the way you've designed it. It is, it clarifies my thinking when I use one of your notebooks, this yellow one. I really love it. I really think it's, I don't know why. I think it's beautiful design and it helped my thinking. That press, it's a simple one, yeah. but it's the one that resonated the mm, most with me. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. So this will be like naming your favorite child, which will be, impossible but what's your favorite book and why what's my favorite book yeah and i know there will be plenty but maybe choose one that have made an impact or one that you really would love to recommend Ooh. my favorite book if i have to say 
I'll choose, I'll, I'll come to say what the one that comes to my mind straight away. Think and Grow Rich has really uh, helped me in terms of knowing what's giving me some clarity in Napoleon Hill. The Seven Habits of High Lifting People, again, in my field, have been a book that I really loved and really enjoyed in terms of bringing some practical tip about personal productivity. Again, in the personal productivity, I love the Tim Ferriss book, The 4-Hour Workweek. Yeah, Maverick is a maverick guy, but really, really interesting. What is the influencing people? Gee, yeah. uh, Carnegie. Win. Yeah, had to, had... how to win friends and influence people. Yes, I yes. love this one. Yeah, uh, like Really, really great book as well. Of simple things, about simple things that you connect with people. And really quite an eye-opener for me for quite a, quite a few things. And there's a book that I really loved, a completely different book, which was a survival book. It was written by a guy, Madiguet. He was a doctor working with the Special Forces in France. And it was, in France, it's called Survivre en milieu hostile, which is survival in hostile environment. And when I was young, you know, I, I used to go traveling with a friend of mine and we just go to adventure. We went to the Sahara Desert and hire a car and get lost in the Sahara Desert or place like this. And this book from Adigay was really, I loved it, which is if you're lost in a minute of desert, if you're lost in a minute of the sea, what do you do? Some practical things about literally how to survive. And I loved it. I, I still have this book. I bought this book about, I don't know, 30 years ago. I still have it, cherish it. So that's an example of this. Mm. And I'll probably finish by one last one, which is I have a passion for comics. Yeah. So if you come to my house, there is a wall of comic. I always dreamt about having a wall of comic. I have a wall of comics, and there is one comic which I and there's so many I love, but Jessica Blandy is a comic that I love. So anyway, I'll share, I had to share Beautiful. one comic. Beautiful. We'll put them all in the show notes because they're all really great. I haven't read the comic books, but I will now. <laughs> so thank you very much for recommending those. So the last question is, if you could go back to your younger self, say when you were in your late teens, what advice would you have, would you give yourself knowing what you know now? I would talk about the dream and the who. I would say, be a dreamer. Know what, what re- life by design, life by dream, which is don't be ashamed about what you want to be. Don't listen to other people. You can listen to other people, their advice, but at the end of the day, Make the choice about what's really going to rock your boat, what's going to motivate. Uh, the best job that you can get is the job that you will do for free because you love it so much. Mm. And it will be the same as you is surround yourself with the right people. Yeah. The people, whether they're mentor, whether they're friends, the people that you surround yourself with influence so much in your life. Yeah. Um, surround yourself with negative people and you'll get negative thoughts. Surround yourself with people who've got high energy and you'll have high energy. Surround yourself with people who are loving and caring and you'll be more loving and caring. Surround yourself with the right advisors. Have really, and doesn't matter, in some cases you'll have to pay for it and go to the right course. It's the best investment you can do. Surround yourself with, a, so be a dreamer, don't be afraid of your dream and surround yourself with the right people. Mm. That's probably the two things that come to my mind straight away. Amazing. What a beautiful way of ending this super inspiring session. Thank you so very much. I love everything we have spoken about. And, you know, one of my uh, absolute passion is being more productive. I always learn and trying to always improve. And I have a long way to go. And it's just really reminded me that there's so many things that you taught me many, many years ago that I need to kind of sharpen a little bit. Sharpen <laughs> like the saw. <laughs> absolutely. Sharpening. There's nothing like stopping and sharpening the saw. But thank you for all the work that you are putting out to the world. I know it made a lot of difference to us as a business, but also to a lot of our uh, customers, which we call guests around the world who has 
had the opportunity to read and implement all the things that you have you are teaching people and also to a lot of my friends who you know I'm in a book group and we obviously all read this book and I know that so many people have got so much out of it so thank you for what you're doing right. and I'm very very grateful that you took the time because I know that you would have booked me for an hour and we've gone over a little bit <laughs> it's, been, it's been an absolute pleasure thank, thanks very much for this I'm really grateful you know to have this discussion with you and if you can help anyone it's my pleasure and I'm really grateful for our, for our partnership and how you you know you and I have worked on the work smarterly better so it's been an absolute pleasure mm. thanks Christina thank you Wow, what an incredible chat that was. I could spend hours talking to Cyril and listening to his guidance on how we can all be more productive, work smarter, and create our own work-life balance. As I mentioned, we use many of Cyril's principles at Kiki K, and I really encourage you to read his book, Work Smarter, Live Better, after listening to this episode. I think one of the most important lessons I took from this episode is that starting small and simply taking action really is the key to success no matter what you are working towards. It's all about progress, not perfection. So try to keep that in mind as you start your day today or tomorrow. Something else Cyril and I both believe strongly in is the importance of figuring out what matters most to you and getting clear on your personal goals and dreams. There really is power in writing them down and reviewing them often. Then no matter how long-term your dreams or goals may be, It's important to plan and commit to small actions regularly so you can make progress towards achieving them. If you're looking for more inspiration and guidance around this, my book, Your Dream Life Starts Here, is a perfect place to start. You'll find plenty of chapters around discovering your passions, how to turn your dreams into bite-sized actions, and really start on the path to living a life you love. Remember, it's all about progress, not perfection. If you love this episode, don't forget to subscribe for plenty more inspiration. And please tell us what you thought by leaving us a review. I would also love your support with my big crazy dream to inspire 101 million people to write down three dreams on paper and go and chase them. So please help us spread this inspiring message by sharing our podcast on social media with the hashtag 101 million dreamers. Until next time, don't forget to dream big and chase your dreams.